Zero and Truth listeners. This is David Peterson, clinical interventionist and consultant with a practice focused on the opioid crisis that we face in America today. And this morning, uh, my friend in the work of production of Heron and Truth for podcast, Forrest Alvarez, we want to discuss incoming mail. And I would ask if Forrest would read that message from her in order to give us some context. Yeah, well, first of all, this email came to us at heroinetruth at gmail.com, and I strongly encourage anybody who uh, wants to get in contact with us to uh, send us an email there. This email reads, Hello, Dave. I listened to a few of your podcasts and felt compelled to email you a few thoughts. I am the mother of a heroin addict who died from an overdose in July. My daughter, who is 25. I went to a counselor and was part of two different parent groups who pushed the same themes as you do. I understand where you and the groups are coming from, but I can't help but have regrets by not allowing my daughter to move back in with me and help her more than I was doing. It is all good to say how you need to draw lines with your addict until they die, and then there's nothing else you can do. Nothing will bring them back. You cannot understand unless you are a parent who now lives with an enormous grief and regrets for their actions. Susan, first I want to sincerely thank you for your letter. We understand that your feelings of grief are real. Uh, I personally believe that I believe you would feel guilty no matter how this happened and what details were involved. It's a natural, uh, it's a natural response to grief, but the ultimate truth of it is you did the best you could with your love for her first in your mind and you have no way to know what would have happened if the circumstances had been different. And that's the best response that we can have when it comes to our loved ones. My first reaction to that note was to want to point out to her, you continue to draw clear boundaries also until the addict survives and breaks free of the entrapment that has virtually taken their soul away. And it's just that sort of fatalistic view towards clear boundary setting by families that vilifies that sort of approach towards helping a loved one deal with their addiction as the bad, wrong, off course, tough love movement. And, and what I see today is having come back into the opioid response world, uh, that the blame game still continues, that different parties who are impressed in the worst expression, fixated on what we really need to do as a national community, and that should translate down to the local community, being one to be compassionate and not condemning. That would include for most to just pardon, to dismiss grievous theft, physical assaults, perhaps even murders that people commit because of their desperation to obtain the drug. I never could in good conscience say, yes, you're right. I'm really just a nice kid who doesn't need to be locked up, but on the other hand, needs to be nurtured and given special supports to prevent getting back into that kind of situation again. But at the same time, I, I could say honestly that my heroin addiction came to a close at a time in history 
when some otherwise very productive things were happening in southern prisons in Texas, the whole scene had a sort of plantation, slave plantation or aroma to it. But at the same time, nobody was idle. The punishment for refusing to work was being put into a very stark, uncomfortable, solitary confinement situation. But everybody working did a lot to prevent the idle minds and mischievous hands phenomena that happens if all that happens is that people are warehoused. And during the course of my time, I was able to be very busy and to get the things that I needed by exercising free agency as a person who wanted to learn a different way to live. Dialing forward to today, something that I I began to formulate when the amphetamine epidemic, something that I dabbled with as a, a drug pilgrim, you know, an experimenter, and I dare say a hedonist who was pleasure-seeking more than anything else. And in that epidemic, it became very compelling how users turned into adversaries in, in a in an extreme manner of speaking, cannibalistic, eating up their families' resources and their trust and demonstrating outrageous neglect and disregard for the safety of their loved ones, including their infant children. And an analogy that I offered to providers of mental health care and to family members and policymakers was that until somebody is successfully exited from the daily use of methamphetamine, that it was dangerous to allow them to be unsupervised in a home where there are prescription drugs or children or sharp objects, almost to borrow from another extreme uh, word or manner of expression, in a zombie kind of state. And it was then, and I still haven't lost the language, that I began to promote a castle metaphor for people's homes who had come to the realization that they were losing their grip and losing their sanity and dealing with the outcome of their loved one's use of that drug. And so, so this woman who's written to us, uh, it seems like has taken that advice that she heard in groups and and made a castle out of out of her house and... Um, locked her daughter out of it, and now she's having to cope with the fact that her daughter died um, outside of the protection of her house, and she's she, she's um, dealing with with the guilt of having um, locked somebody uh, in the rain, and then and then they died. Um, yes. So how how do you how do you begin to approach coping with those feelings? The <clears throat> The grief work of any loss that any of us has to face is something that is our own. It is something that we can do in company with significant people in our lives, asking for and accepting their help. It is something that any of us can do with conscious reliance on those internal and even external otherworldly dimensions that relate to faith and promise and hope. Take your pick. But something that I think has to be recognized about the tragic loss of a loved one 
who might have lived another day, if not just an hour, or many, many more days to find their way out of their partly self-chosen exile, is that they have free will. And new language that I have been using lately as I deal with families, which is the real core, the real place where I can help them to make a difference in their loved one's lives. Um, what I suggest to families that they, is that they get out of the way of their loved one. I got in a lot of addicts' ways who have not made it. And I've gotten in the way of many more who have by educating them and stepping aside and letting them practice and use the scant skills that they can use in order to prevent untimely death and far beyond that to reclaim control of their lives. It's a difficult subject. I don't consider myself an absolute expert, but one thing that I do consider myself is to be a voice for the rights of families to make choices themselves and not to have them dictated to them by the treatment establishment. Thank you.